brought a Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Genesis. I'll let you know as you get there. It's Genesis chapter 12, first book of the Bible. As you uh, turn to those pages, we're going to bounce around just a little bit. The primary text that we're going to deal with is Genesis chapter 12. This series that we're going through called Bless deals with the, the life of Abraham, his story from Genesis chapter 12 to Genesis chapter 25. God called him and blessed him in this world, and, and we're going to take Abraham and his examination through his life, how God works in, in our lives and learning about Abraham uh, along the way. Abraham's story is one that's themed this way. Your life will have counted for something. And it's up to you whether that something is worth living for. God made you for a purpose and a reason. And there are times in our lives where we encounter particular things, especially as it relates to the Lord, that we would clarify as as life-changing moments. In in the book, in the movie, Chariots of Fire, uh, there's a story written about two guys training for the Olympics and one of the guy's names is named uh, Eric Little. I believe he was Swedish. He's training for the 1924 Olympics at a time when athletes didn't get on the Wheaties box and make all kinds of money. And, and his sister notices that Eric quit his job just to train for these Olympics that wasn't going to monetarily help him gain much. And, and she goes to him and says to him, why in the world are you quitting your job to do this? And Eric's response was simple. He said, it's when he's running that he feels God's pleasure in his life. It's a part of Eric that he thought to himself that God had created him for. Your life will have counted for something. It's up to you whether or not that something is, is worth living for. And the life of Abraham is is a story of a man in his journey who doesn't know God, comes to know God, and desires to walk with him to make life count. And just as God called Abraham, I believe this this morning, that God created you and he calls you to a specific purpose in your life as well. A little background to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 uh, takes a a huge leap in history. You've got a few thousand years taking place by the time you get to the life uh, of Abraham. But the Bible begins for us, God creates everything, and then shortly after his creation, Adam and Eve sin, they fall. They, they uh, take what God created life for, and, and they make it about themselves. And in their fall, God intervenes, and he, and he offers them a plan of redemption. In Genesis chapter 3, he tells them he's going to bring a redeemer who will have his heel, uh, suffer a heel wound, who will come from the seed of the woman and, and give his life for mankind. Shortly after, God comes in and intervenes with his grace. The world falls again as Cain kills Abel. As you get to Genesis chapter 6, you find out that the world has become uh, so sinful in the eyes of God that God creates a flood to devastate the earth. And he, he preserves one family through this, Noah. And as God re- sort of hits the reset button on life to help man in their pursuit of again outside of their wickedness that they had become, as soon as the flood's over, the Bible tells us Noah gets drunk and, and takes off his clothes in front of his kids, and something happens there where one of his sons is cursed because of it. After the story of Noah, then comes the story of the Tower of Babel, where civilization, again, makes life all about them, and they build these structures and honor and glory to them. And so God comes down, and he confuses the language, and he creates uh, people groups to where the people that are building this tower in honor to themselves then disperse into different people groups around the world. The tradition says over 70 people groups 
began from the Tower of Babel. It's on the backdrop of the Tower of Babel that God then intervenes again in the life of a man named Abraham. Abraham grew up in what was known as the Bronze Age. This happened around 2000 BC, so roughly about 4,000 years from where you and I are today. He lived in an area known as Ur of the Chaldeans. This was in the region of a place called Mesopotamia. If you look for it on the map today, you would call it modern-day Iraq. That area of the world is referred to as the cradle of civilization. It's where mankind began. Abraham, as he's called by the Lord, something very unique and important happens and is shared throughout Scripture in the lives of those who who, uh, share the story of Abraham, beginning with the, the life of Joshua. Joshua, in speaking of Abraham, says this in Joshua chapter 24, Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, from ancient times your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. When you study the land of Ur, where Abraham was from, you can recognize very quickly, even Abraham's name, his initial name wasn't Abraham, God changed it. His name when God met him was Abram, which means the father is exalted. Abraham's name wasn't one that honored the Lord, but rather false gods. In the land of Ur, there was special worship that took place of, of a god named Sin. If you were one people group, if you are another people group, you would refer to him as Nana. That just comes off the tongue real easy, right? Nana. I think my son utters that all the time. Maybe he's worshiping a false god. The god of sin and the god of Nana. He, this, is, this is the moon god. And the, Ur, the land of Ur is the place that you would gather if you desired to worship and praise this god. Abraham's name, no doubt, is written in honor of this god or false gods in the area. And it tells us in this passage, according to Joshua, that, that Abraham, his family, they followed these false gods. Sometimes when we consider the lives of those who we would call saints of Scripture in the Old Testament and New Testament, we tend to think of them as people who are on pedestals. They're on this super spiritual level that I can't relate to. Of course, God led them. Of course, God talked to them. Of course, God did things through them. They're special. I'm not them. But the story of Abraham is unique to us. Matter of fact, when you read the story of the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints, you discover that apart from the God, God's grace, they weren't much to look at or to brag about. I mean, Paul was a murderer. Noah wasn't anything special. He just was called by God's grace. Abraham in the book of Joshua was worshiping false gods. Nehemiah says this about Abraham and his calling. I should say, as Nehemiah is sharing this, Nehemiah is sharing such a story, an important part in this book, because Nehemiah is encouraging the people of God to go back to the land of Israel and rebuild the walls around Jerusalem so they could gather together as a people again. This is after the Babylonian captivity. And so this is a people at this time that are dreaming of all the things that God could possibly do through them. There's a part of them doubting what God could do in them and through them because they're looking at the magnitude that God has called, the job that God has called them to. In Nehemiah 9, verse 70, says this, You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur and gave him the name Abraham. So it wasn't Abraham that made Abraham special. It was God. It was God's grace that intervened in the life of an individual and changed his identity. And the mark of his identity we see has changed the transitioning of his name. 
God calls Abraham by his grace. In Acts chapter 7 and verse 2, it says this, talking about Stephen. This is the first martyr in the New Testament who's dying for his faith, and he's sharing his last message. In chapter 7 and verse 2, it says, Hear me, brethren and fathers. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Stephen is sharing in this message as God has just intervened throughout history and God has been calling his people throughout history. And in this moment, Stephen is now saying to the people, and God, God is calling you as well. The reason I bring up this passage of Scripture is because if you, if you read the story of Abraham, you'll note that it starts at the end of chapter 11 in Genesis. But at the end of chapter 11, it tells us that God calls Terah Abraham's father. But in Acts chapter 7, and it further elaborates on that calling, it says not only only is God calling Terah, but God was also calling Abraham as well. God is is leading Abraham in what he desires to do. And the picture that's created in, in, in the New Testament for us, as we understand God's grace, is one of adoption. When God relates to us this thought of adoption, it's, it's similar to, to how we connect to the word today. You know, when, when you talk about adoption, when a parent goes to a, a, a adopt, they don't, they don't, before adopting the child, look at the child and say, okay, now what can, what can you do? What can you bring? What can you benefit? What do you have to offer? Can you, can you mow the grass? Can you get a job? Can you do this? Can you do that? You got any artistic ability? Will you entertain me? They don't do that. It's not about what the child offers. It's about what the parent has to give. And the word adoption within Scripture creates that in our mind. In the life of Abraham, as he was called, and Noah and Paul, all the great saints of Scripture that you would look at, it's not, it's not about what they offered. It's about what the grace of God had to give. And the love of a father extending to those he created in his image. God calls Abraham. The Bible tells us at 75 years old, he calls Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12 and verses 1, it gives us the foundation for really the Old Testament. It's going to say to us in this passage of Scripture that God is going to build a nation. This is going to be the place where God chooses to work. In Genesis chapter 3, he tells us he's going to bring redemption for mankind. In Genesis chapter 12, he tells us what, where specifically that, that redemption will come from, where that person will be born of the seed of the woman. And, and not only is God building a physical nation, but he's also building a spiritual nation through Abraham. Within Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1 to 3, it lays for us the foundation for God will identify how he is going to work throughout the rest of the Bible so that we can see his story and say, oh yeah, that's God's hand there calling us and his people. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1, they use this word bless often. I'll explain it in a minute, but it says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country, leave Ur, and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This word blessing is important for the life of Abraham because it it tells us in this passage, if if he just follows God, he's going to be taken care of. But the thought of the word blessing in the Bible is, is full and rich in meaning. This, this thought of blessing in the Old Testament comes from the Hebrew word barak. 
And Barak is literally the word that we will translate in, in other passages as worship or praise. And what God is saying to Abraham, Abraham, by faith, if you trust me, as you follow me in this, you're going to find that not only are you blessed, but you're going to find reason that I am worthy to be worshipped and praised in your life. I'll tell you what Abraham was looking for in a minute. But In the New Testament, when Jesus shows up in the Sermon on the Mount, he uses the same word, bless. But in the Greek meaning of the time, the word blessed took on a different thought. It was a, the word blessed, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed, blessed are the weak. Blessed are the poor in spirit. This word blessed comes from the island of Cyprus. Now, if you lived in Cyprus, you were better off in weather than those from San Diego. Cyprus was considered a place that always had the perfect weather. It always had rich soil. It always had the, just the right amount of rain flow for plants just to flourish. And so if you lived on the island of Cyprus, you had need for nothing. You were blessed. And so when Jesus starts to use a term similar to the people from the island of, uh, of Cyprus, they begin to correlate it and saying, if Jesus is saying we're blessed for him, then what Christ has to offer more than satisfies what we need in this life. Blessed is the theme. Abraham, as you read his story, you find that, yes, indeed, God does bless him. Even even when Abraham goes against the Lord in his decisions, God's hand is still there. You know, sometimes we, we read the story of these individuals and we think, okay, and then, and then since this guy was the called person that the Bible is written about, as soon as, soon as he followed the Lord, it was just smooth sailing from there on out. And what we're going to find out, just one verse after this, Abraham starts to fall flat on his face. As he learns about the Lord who had called him. And in his decisions, if he would just pursue him, he would be blessed. Not only does the Bible tell us this blessing comes on Abraham personally, but it comes upon Abraham nationally creating the people of Israel. Not only does it bless the people nationally, it blesses the world internationally. Abraham, by faith, trusted in God, and his life made a difference. Great lives are built on great promises by God's grace that lead to great callings full of God's blessing for God's glory. Your life will count for something. It's up to you whether or not that something is worth living for. John Piper would say it like this, God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. And as you pursue him, you're blessed. Both praise and worship you find in the idea of what God has called you for in this world. Hebrews chapter 11 then writes the story of Abraham's calling, Abraham's answer to the call. Hebrews 11 is an important passage of Scripture. It's, it's referred to as the, the Hall of Fame or Hall of Faith. Chapter 11 is about all those who took faith, placed it in the Lord, and saw God working in their lives because of their trust in Him. And it reveals to us the process of Abraham's decision and why he chooses to do what he does. And following after God, it says in verse 8, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out and not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, 
as in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has its foundation, whose architect and builder is God. When um, you make a decision to follow after the Lord, Abraham's story says this, there is something you've got to leave behind. When God calls us to the land of Canaan, where he's calling where the nation of Israel will be built, there's always something to be left behind. For Abraham, in pursuit of God's call, he, he, he leaves behind his friends, his family, his luxury. Um, he goes and dwells, it says in this passage, he dwells in tents. Uh, the land of Ur, where Abraham is from, is known as a developed civilization, the Mesopotamia region, the place where civilization started, the people there are developed. When you leave that region and you head towards the land of Israel, those people are nomads. They're hillbillies. They dwell in tents. And God's coming to Abraham and saying, you've got to leave your nice, luxurious house and go dwell in tents. I don't know how it goes in your family, but in my family, every so often... I convinced my wife to go camping. (laughs) When we go camping, the first question she always has, what are the restrooms like? (laughs) In the land of Ur, where where Abraham is from, archaeologists have discovered that there is a sewage system. People had plumbing. In the land of the tents, there is no plumbing. (laughs) He's calling Abraham and Sarah for sure to leave the luxury of the restroom. I know for guys, guys, you know, maybe not see this as much as a sacrifice as ladies. I mean, you go camping, every tree is your home, right? I mean, the, the, the plants can leave more water when, when you came than when you, when you leave. But there's a sacrifice to be made. I mean, you know how important luxuries are when you were a kid and you go on a car trip and you, you get in that car. As a parent, you put your kids in the car. The last thing you say to them as you get in for that journey is, did you go to the bathroom? And that is important. Me, with young kids, it's the only break I get in my day. <laughs> when God calls you somewhere, he, he has us and requires of us by faith to leave something behind in order to pursue him. And what Abraham says in the midst of this journey is what he's after isn't, isn't the luxury of life. What he's after is for his life to count for something. And he knows for life to truly count, it's got to rest in the one whose hand controls it all. And so in verse 10, it tells us Abraham's heart. For he was looking for the city which has its foundations, whose architect And builder is God. To get anywhere that God's called you, to make any sort of significant impact on the life he's created you to have in this world, you've got to believe that regardless of whatever you might possess, that whatever God is calling you to is far better than where you are. And Abraham's looking at this moment. He says, Ur, I don't care. Tense, it doesn't matter to me. I just want my life to matter. And so he says in verse 10, what, I, what I'm looking for is the one who is eternal and, and whose hand has scoffed at all this, who defines and gives me purpose in discovering that, then I'll know what I was designed for. 
Abraham is called. Every choice that we have in following the Lord involves a sacrifice, but the blessing of the Lord is far greater than any sacrifice we might make. And Abraham is saying this in this passage. I don't want the world to win. I don't want Ur to win. I feel like this place is bankrupt. I know I've been named in honor of a false god, but God, you can turn things around. I've seen the way that you've done it in the life of Adam and Eve and Noah. Your grace is sufficient. You always provide. And so, Lord, I'm trusting in you. Maybe the question we asked this morning in application is, um, you know, that's great for Abraham. God calls the big dudes, the great saints, Women and men who just have this special ability to the Lord, but how do I know? I don't know. God calls me. And I read a story of Abraham, and I want it to be an encouragement to life, and I see the things that's happening to him. That's good, but but what does that have to do with me? The story of Abraham and calling, uh, I would submit and say to us this morning, is 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 not unique to Abraham. God still calls today. In 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9, the Bible tells us, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. I mean, God is seeking this world for, for those who by faith would trust in him. And so the question maybe we should ask this morning is why do we choose to stay near the toilets rather than answer God's call? What's so important to the luxury that surpasses the goodness of who Christ is? You read into the New Testament, you find reasons in different places throughout passages, especially with Apostle Paul, where he is encouraging believers through areas of life where um, they they feel like they just don't measure up. They, They don't have what they think would it take to pursue God the way God may be calling them in this world. In fact, in 1 Chronicles chapter 1 and verse 27, Paul says this to a group of believers doubting um, where God's got them. It says, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom for God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. There is a way to measure what's important according to the world standard and a way to measure what's important according to God's standard. And the way the world measures it is not important to God. And the truth of this passage is saying this, for those who feel inadequate to do the things that even is described in Abraham or the things you see in the New and Old Testament of believers who follow Christ by faith, for those who feel inadequate, this is what this passage says, you are. That's not nice, I know. But can I tell you the importance of recognizing what that says is it's just half the step. And what Paul's saying is, I want to encourage you to take the full step. Listen, what God has called you to in this world, you are inadequate to do because you were never intended to do it on your own. And so recognizing your dependency is half the step. Taking your faith and trusting it in the Lord, that is the full step. We're inadequate because we are sinful people. We can't live the holy lives that God has called us to apart from his grace transforming us. 
And the things that God has called us to in this world are are to, to be his vessel, to make an impact spiritually for him. And you can't do that without a spirit. And so we look at ourselves according to the world's standard and we realize the things that the world values in Jesus don't matter. See, in the world's standard, it's rising to the top, dog, eat, dog. And in Jesus' standard, it's humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. It's a complete reversal. In the world's standard, it's about what you get. In Christ's standard, it's about what you give, and he's after your life. It's in the giving of your life to God that in your inadequacy, you find that you're more than capable in Christ who gives you strength. I believe Paul said that. If you get to a place and you're just thinking, okay, okay, you're telling me this, I'm seeing this in the passage, how do I, how do I really know? And I would say, you just read it, it was called the life of Abraham. 75 years old, young, in God's eyes. I mean, God comes to him and says, Abraham, at 75 years old, I'm going to let you have kids. Now, Abraham has called that a blessing. I don't know how you feel like that at 75, but Abraham longed for that opportunity. God's grace intervenes. Second thing we tend to do when it comes to following God's call in our lives is that we, we compare ourselves to others. When you read the story of, of Satan, it's always a, it's a real fun story to read. <laughs> but when you read that story, it's not. I'm just kidding. Isaiah chapter 14, Ezekiel chapter 28 describes the fall of what looks to be Satan, especially Isaiah 14. And, and in verse 14, it, it tells us why, why Satan fell. It says to us that he, he fell from heaven because he wanted to be like the most high. He wanted to be God. So he compares himself not in the channel for which God had created him to be, but to be something else. It's interesting, when God shows up in the Garden of Eden, the lie that he tells to Adam and Eve, if you eat of the fruit, you'll become gods. And they eat of the fruit and they fall. Comparing themselves to something else that they desire to be rather than who God made them to be, they fall. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 10, For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond our measure. But with the measure of the sphere which God apportioned to us as a measure to reach even as far as you. And Paul says, you know, those that compare themselves to other people, Stupid. But in verse 13, what, what he's saying is God has made us uniquely for something special that he has only called us to do. And because of the calling, we are able to reach you. Robert Madu says this. He's a pastor. He says, comparison consistently clouds the clarity of God's call on your life. Meaning you can only do what God has created you to do. Don't think about what you don't have. Look at what God's given you. Had the the privilege over the years um, we planted here in Lehigh and and I've got to meet new church planters coming in to Utah to plant churches mainstream churches in cities that don't have one and and I always tell them the first thing best advice I know to give at the, at the get go is this um, don't think about what you don't have 
But look at what you do have as a church. I mean, the dream of seeing a church long-term in your city, sustaining, that can aspire people to greater things in the Lord, just focus on that. And here's the tendency just from a church culture, and I know that um, you can think of different ways it relates in your life, but, but when you start a church, we've done this as Alpine Bible Church. We've had six years of history, and, and, and the, the second place we moved to was in a um, printing shop, and we rented out two rooms. It was really weird staying there. Um, we had a really small room. We crammed like 40 people in, and we, sw- we would sweat so bad, and it smelled, smelled really bad because it was a print shop. And we had people that would bring perfume and flowers to church just to smell during church. So they didn't have to smell the, the print uh, stuff. And, and the kids would have to go. We had one room downstairs. The kids would have to walk upstairs to the kids' class. And in the kids' class, there was a bird cage, and the bird was always out when we got there. And then the mice we found liked the bird cage because they could jump up there and eat. So there, was, there would be mice running around. And then upstairs, there was a person that lived next to us, and his bathroom was in between the two rooms. So he'd get out and go take a shower while kids would be in the class. It was just, it was weird. And when you're looking for the best church in town, that ain't it, right? When you have people come in and stop off and they're like, yeah, I want a kids program. I want a youth group. You're like, uh, yeah, that's not us. You know? yeah. How are we going to get where God wants us? How are we going to be a church that can impact lives and minister to everyone that comes in the door? Well, here's the trick. You don't focus on what you don't have. You look at what you do have. And you stop complaining to God about the things that are wrong, and you start thanking Him for the things that are right. You look at an area of life that God wants to affect, and you allow Him to affect it. It's not about what you don't have. It's about what you do have. Um, all of us in this world have a Canaan. I Meaning just as God called Abraham to the land of Canaan for him, all of us have a Canaan. All of us have a place where God is calling us to have an effect for him, and it's different for you and for me. God's got me in a different circle of influence. I mean, we're a part of a church family. When we walk out of these doors, we're impacting different lives um, from one another and the same lives together. Well, I, can, I can think even for my life when, when, when God was leading me in, into ministry and into a place to live, when I was looking at where God wanted me to go, I had said long ago, God, it's not my life, and so whatever you want to do with it, do with it. I don't care where I live. I'll, I'll, I'll go to Turkey. I'll go to wherever, wherever I will live. And by the time I got to the end of my schooling, I was looking to India. And as I was graduating schooling, I do what college kids do that you don't have a whole lot of time or a lot of time and nothing better to do. I just decided to drive across the country to visit a friend who was from Utah. <laughs> I didn't even know a, a place like this existed, and I was still I was still looking for a place God could use me to impact my heart. And and I was looking overseas, but couldn't quite find a place that settled well well with me. And and I got here, and God really started working on me. I, I'd never been in a place like this where there was not a mainstream Christian church in the city. And Lehigh, Utah, as big as it was, it blew, blew me away in, in, in what was available for me as a believer. I wanted to come here and worship. There, there was nothing. And I started to look around at what happened in the city, and I realized that over the history of Lehigh, church people had come out, or church planners had come out to try to start churches, and within a couple of years, they, they would fold and leave. And then I began to consider my life where God had brought me. I grew up in the South in a very poor environment. My mom and dad separated when I was four. 
Um, my mom didn't have anything beyond high school education, and she had two kids, and she was um, now in her uh, early 20s trying to figure out how to provide for us, and we just grew up poor. She, she went to college and educated herself. She cut hair to make some money while she was going through school, and um, by the time I was 16, 17, she graduated with her BSN in nursing, but my whole life I grew up not a whole lot. So I fought for what I had. I grew a very stubborn personality. When I committed to it, I went after it. I began to look at the city of Lehigh and what was successful with churches, why churches haven't left and gone, whatever. And I began to realize as God had, had been working on my heart for a place like this, that God all along the way had been with me. I mean, he had built me for a place like this. And this place needed a missionary that, that could struggle and fight, and, and it needed a person that was stubborn enough to s- stick around and, and not leave, one that could look at the vision of what God called them to do and just be here. God's got a Canaan for all of us. Something that you leave behind in order to pursue the blessing of what God gives. Can I tell you, as you take the steps to follow after the Lord, this will be the last thought I share. It's not about tasks. It's not about what you do. But rather, the top priority is in what you pursue or who you pursue. The reason God created you wasn't to accomplish jobs. It was to reach hearts. Jesus said the two greatest commands are to love God and to love others. Now, you end up doing tasks to reach hearts, but the goal is always about the heart. Love God and love others. You will never get to where God has called you without loving the Lord and giving your life to Him. You will never reach the people that God's called you to reach without loving them. We built this building. This building was a task. But the reason we built this building isn't because we wanted to build a building. The reason we built the building is so we could continue to reach hearts. Everywhere we've been, we've outgrown. (laughs) And so we understand that whatever God calls us to, wherever that Canaan is, what God wants us to do is reach hearts. Notice, when God tells Abraham what those blessings are, it's all about the influence that he's going to have in the lives of people throughout this world. God calls you. God calls me. It says in Ephesians 1, God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. In 1 Peter 2, 21, for you have been called for this purpose. In 1 Peter 1, 15, but like the Holy One who called you, be yourselves holy in your behavior. In 1 Timothy 6, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life through which you've been called. 2 Thessalonians 2, it was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of Christ. In Colossians 3, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts through which you indeed were called. In Ephesians 4, I implore you you to walk worthy of a man uh, in the manner in which you have been called by Christ. Galatians 5, for you were called to freedom. Galatians 1, you were called by the grace of Christ. Romans 9, they shall be called the sons of the living God. Romans 1, 7, to all who are beloved of God, called as saints. God still calls. The story of Abraham impacts our lives because God had called him as a man, but God is still calling you to impact the lives of others. So here's the challenge. Get out of the bathroom. Let go for whatever God has called you to. Let's follow him.